Let's turn our Bible to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We are looking at verses 20 through the end of the chapter. Last time we looked at the first five of verses here, 20 through 25, is Jesus was asked a question by the Pharisees regarding the kingdom of God, when it will come, and, and he answered them. And then in verse 22, he turns to his disciples, uh, those who believe in him, those who love him, those who are following him, and has very uh, specific and sobering things to say to his disciples. And so that's where we are uh, this morning. We'll be looking at verses 26 through 37, but I'd like to begin reading at verse 20. Uh, so we can catch the context. Let's give our attention to the Word of God this morning. These are the words of our Lord. Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation." Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let, no one who is, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Our God in heaven, as we open your word now and give our attention to Christ Jesus, our teacher, I pray, Lord, that you would give us your Holy Spirit to illuminate these words so that we could understand them and understand the spiritual truth and hear the voice of our master, our shepherd, and and respond in faith and obedience. And Lord, if there are any here today uh, that you've brought here specifically because your desire is that they be brought from death to life, Lord, we pray that you would do that beautiful work as only you can do. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning is uh, one of the more sobering uh, texts uh, in the Bible uh, because Jesus uh, talks to us about things that we seldom consider. If you were to catalog all the things that you thought about this last week, all the things that were on your mind, all the things that you were anxious about, all the things that you uh, took joy in, Just catalog all the ideas, all the thoughts that went through your mind. How many of those thoughts 
We're about the last day. And I bet for the vast majority of us, um, almost none of them were. How often do we just stop and think about the day when Jesus Christ is going to return? And, and when is the last time you seriously ask yourself the question, am I ready to meet the king? Am I ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Am I ready for the judgment day? Are you ready for eternity? And are you sure that you're ready for eternity? There's something in our culture that makes questions like that a little bit awkward. It's not really conversation for polite society. Even in church, we, you can have a sense that we really shouldn't ask each other those sorts of personal questions. We should just assume that, that people are ready. Well, Jesus asked those very uh, specific and very personal questions. And Jesus wants us not to just assume. He wants us to remember Lot's wife and, and that it's very easy to be lost in the midst of religious privileges. Jesus wants us to think about these things, and they're the most important, most significant things that you can ever put your brain cells to work uh, pondering these sorts of things. We are mortal people, and we live in a world where uh, the Lord promises he's going to come again to judge the living and the dead. They're the most important questions we could ask, and yet they are exactly the questions that people most avoid, at least in a, in a serious thoughtful way. Even though we stand, you and I, perpetually, every moment, on the brink of eternity. And for every single one of us, that eternity will either be everlasting torment so horrifying that it'll make your worst experiences in this world feel like paradise, or it'll be blessedness so amazing that your best experiences in this life will seem like misery in comparison. You and I stand on the brink of endless, endless life. And we have to think about it. I told you before about uh, Francis Chan's uh, excellent illustration on this. He, uh, he, he had a, a piece of rope that just kind of trailed off the stage and and, and he said to the audiences, I just want you, to, I want you to imagine that this rope just goes on forever. Okay, he's holding this rope. It goes on forever. You can wrap it around the world a couple times, hang it over the moon. It just, it never stops. It's endless rope. And then at the, in, in his hand, there was a little piece about this long that was uh, wrapped in red tape. And he said, now, uh, this little piece right here, this represents your time on earth. And he says, the, the crazy thing is that most people spend all their energy and effort thinking about uh, this little piece right here and giving no thought to that endless rope that stretches out ahead of them. Millions and millions and millions of years that stretch out ahead of them. Most people spend all their time thinking about and worrying about and planning for and grieving over these two inches right here. In fact, a lot of people are very concerned about the last quarter inch. 
And they're thinking about how they can save so that they can experience that last quarter inch uh, traveling and, and going to nice restaurants and, and being uh, financially secure. That last quarter inch is very important to them, and they spend all sorts of time and energy thinking about the last quarter inch and almost no time or energy thinking about what happens at the end of the quarter inch. When eternity stretches out ahead of you, in fact, most people just... They just decide not to think about it. They hope it works out. If people treated their retirement right that way, we, uh, financial advisors would, would call them fools. You're, you're going to get old. You have birthdays every year. And unless the Lord takes you soon, you're going to uh, come to a place where you're no longer able to work and, and you have to have something put aside. All right, We could have people in the congregation stand up right now and give, give that lecture. And Jesus says, you're going to die. The mortality rate remains at 100%. You are going to die. You are going to face the king. You're going to, it's going to happen. And, and eternity, you see, then will stretch out ahead of you, either for eternal blessedness or for eternal torment. It, it's not something you're going to be able to avoid. It's madness not to prepare for it. Charles Spurgeon says, he who does not prepare for death is more than an ordinary fool. He's a madman. Now remember, Jesus is talking not to lost people. He's talking to disciples. He's talking to people who've sort of aligned themselves with him, who believe in him. And he wants uh, the, them to know uh, that, that the Son of Man is going to come. It's going to be unmistakable unimaginably glorious for some and horrifying for others, but, but every eye is going to see him, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. I don't know what you're going to do tomorrow, but I know what you're going to do on that day. You're going to be bowing, you're going to be confessing Jesus Christ is Lord, either, you see, with great joy or with, with unspeakable grief. And what, which will it be for you? That's, that's the question Jesus wants us to face. Our three points this morning is that the day is going to come as Jesus gives us lessons on the last day. The day is going to come unexpectedly, it's going to come catastrophically, and it's going to come in a way that reveals the truth about you. The truth about you is going to be exposed and revealed when Jesus comes again as the, as the truth of, of, of your ultimate priorities are, ma are made evident. The day, first of all, is going to come unexpectedly. And Jesus uses two examples from Old Testament history, two stories that everybody that he's talking to would be very familiar with these stories. They, they know what happened. And Jesus takes those historic events, things that really took place, two instances when divine judgment broke into the world of sinful men with devastating consequences. The days of Noah and the days of Lot. And he says, just as it was in the days of Noah, and just as it was in the day of Lot, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. He wants us to, to see there are direct parallels. Just as it happened then, so it will be now. Well, well what, what are the lessons Jesus wants to teach his disciples here? What, what does he want us to know? Well, he wants us to know that uh, when, on the day when the Son of Man is revealed, it, 
that day is going to begin like every other day. It's going to look like every other day. People are going to be doing just very normal human things. They'll be eating and drinking, just providing for themselves, enjoying their physical well-being. They're going to be marrying and giving in marriage. People are going to be making plans for a, for a, a wonderful future with a, someone else. It's going to be very exciting. They're going to be busy in the world of finance and labor, buying and selling and building, planting. They're going to be very busy people. Too busy, really, for a judgment day. It's not going to be in the, in the calendar. Just living the life that God's given them to live. And there's nothing wrong with living that life. Jesus doesn't say, therefore I tell you, stop it. Right? Go to the wilderness. Just get on a rooftop. No, no, no. These are all good God-honoring endeavors that he's given us to do. You see, the point is that, that you do not know the day or the hour. It's going to look... That day will begin like every other day. One of the things that, that struck people on September 11, 2001 was what a perfectly normal, beautiful fall day it was in New York. And everybody was just going about their life. Husbands and wives uh, closed the kitchen door behind them and, and uh, headed out to work, never imagining that they were never going to walk through that door again. It was just a normal day. And that's, Jesus says, how it will be on the last day. People will be all busy with their normal life, never expecting that, that as they busily go about the business of this earth, never thinking that that, that day they will do business with heaven, that that day will, they will deal with the realities of judgment and, and righteousness and their eternal destiny. And his point, you see, is don't, don't wait to get ready. Don't, don't wait until the rain starts to fall. Don't, don't wait until the fire starts to come. Then, then it's too late. There's an urgency in the here and now. That's the point Jesus wants to make. Now is the day of salvation. I'm sure you've heard the story. I've used it before, but uh, it's, it's an old story of, of, of three apprentice uh, demons who are uh, sort of facing their final exam, and the devil says, I want you to tell me, what would you do if you want to lead the most people to hell? And, and the first demon says, well, I, I would tell him there's no heaven. And the devil says, well, it'll never work. God's placed eternity in their hearts. Jesus talks about heaven. The Bible's full of it. I mean, it, you, you can't, you can't lead people to hell by telling them there's, there's no heaven. There, there, some will believe it, but the vast majority of people aren't going to buy it. Another says, well, then I'll tell them there's no hell. And the devil says, that's not going to work either. The law is written on their hearts. They know that there has to be justice in, at, at some level, in some sense. They, they feel uh, guilt and they're afraid to die. It, I, I just don't think it's going to convince that many people. And the third says, well, <clears throat> I'll just tell them there's no hurry. And the devil, devil says, that'll work. Just tell them there's no hurry. 
Whatever might be happening uh, on the other end of the two-inch piece of tape, whatever happens there, it's not going to happen soon. You don't really need to think about it. You don't need to be really concerned about it. Just pay attention to what you're doing here and now. Give that all your energy and all your thought and, and make your prayer life just about that. And, and uh, your, your Christian world can be focused just sort of on the, the here and the now. Don't, don't worry about that day. That'll work. Jesus says we have, to, we have to think of this. That day's going to come unexpectedly. It's going to come catastrophically. There's a day. Notice how many times Jesus uses that word. The day uh, that Noah entered the ark. And the day that, that Lot left Sodom. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Because you see, the, the day of Noah and the day of Lot were, were days of utter absolute devastation. No one outside of the ark survived. No survivors. No one in Sodom and Gomorrah outside of Lot's immediate family survived. Everyone lost their life. Their soul. Just, think, just let that settle on you. Everyone was living their life and then everyone was losing their life in a moment. The water of judgment came and swept them into eternal loss. The fire of heaven fell and ushered them into the fire of eternal condemnation. Now, now remember who's, who's telling us this. This is not some doom and gloom um, prophet who's just trying to scare people. This is Jesus, the one that God, who so loved the world, right, sent this, this is Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost. This is the Jesus who's going to a cross to die to rescue sinners from exactly this judgment. And so Jesus is motivated by nothing here but love. He, he knows the stakes. He knows how many people every single day were stepping off the edge of time into the abyss of eternity with no thought for it, no preparation for it, and were utterly lost. He knows. And the Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but his desire is that people would turn and be saved. Now, it doesn't mean that he's helplessly in heaven wringing his hands, hoping for the best and just accepting the worst. That's, obviously, that's not true. He is a sovereign God who saves those whom he's chosen to save. But he's also a sovereign God who calls sinners to repent because he loves them. There's a, there's a, there, Jesus Christ is, is speaking and, and lovingly warning people of what is yet to come. See, the warnings are part of the grace, the kindness. When, when Noah was building the ark, people would stop by and say, no, what in the world are you doing? Because there were two options. Either he'd lost his mind or he was on to something. And so he would tell them what he was doing. God says he's going to destroy the world with the flood. And, and I'm preparing an ark according to the instructions of God so, so that I can be delivered. And you could be delivered too. And some, I suppose, laughed and mocked. Others chuckled and chalked it up to, that's just, that's just Noah. Others maybe went away and, and seriously considered it. But nobody actually believed it. Nobody came and said, no, you need to tell us more. Isn't that amazing? And, and so the... 
the vessel of their deliverance was right in front of them for 120 years. The one thing that could rescue them from the coming flood was right in front of them for 120 years with a man standing there telling them that God said he was going to judge the world and, they, and it, was, it was right in front of them and they refused to believe and refused to be saved until it started to rain. And then they believed and then they came to the ark and they beat on the door but God himself had closed the door and it was too late. And Jesus says, so will it be on the day the Son of Man is revealed. That there will be people who, they heard the story, the, the evidence of, the, of, of God's goodness and salvation was right in front of them. The, the ark that could have carried them to safety was right in front of them for all of their life. And maybe they laughed, maybe they thought about it, maybe they even seriously considered it, but they didn't respond in faith to it. And so when the, the judgment comes, it's too late. So will it be. On the day the Son of Man. And the same thing happens in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels come and they warn Lot. And, and, and Lot goes and he warns family and most likely friends as well. Get up. Get out of this place. Uh, God is going to bring fire. He's going to destroy the city. But we're told in Genesis 19 verse 14. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the horror in, 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 in Lot's Hard as he's telling his sons-in-law, that the men who married his daughters, we've got to leave. Ain't the angels, remember the angels that came last night? Uh, they've, they told me that God is going to destroy this city for its wickedness. And his sons-in-law laughed. They laughed. If there's a God, he, he would not be that kind of a God. That's, that's not possible. The idea of a God who would actually destroy an entire city, that, that's, that's not possible. The idea that there could be a God who is that holy and who is truly a consuming fire to that extent, who is that committed to, to responding to wickedness with judgment, to, to wipe it away, it's just too extreme. Whatever God there might be, I'm convinced there's not a God like that. Why are they convinced? Because they don't want there to be a God like that. It's not palatable, and if it's not palatable, then it must not be true. And I'll declare it not to be true. No matter, no matter what the word might say, no matter what my conscience might say, no matter what other people who, who, who know the Lord and know me, no matter what they might say, I will not believe it. And so Jesus says the light is shown in the darkness, and the darkness, right, they didn't, wicked men hated the light. Why? Because they didn't want their evil deeds exposed. They, did, they didn't want to deal with this kind of truth. And, and so the warnings never produced repentance. And Jesus says, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And then thirdly, it's a day that will reveal ultimate priorities. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Boys and girls, in those days, uh, people had uh, houses with, with flat rooftops, and the rooftop was sort of like the back porch. It's where you'd go to um, relax at the end of a long day, 
place to spend some time with the family or get away from the family. Maybe it might work for that as well. But it was a nice, quiet place, place to rest. And Jesus said, if you're up there and you're enjoying the end of, of your work day or, or just kind of maybe watching the sunrise, whatever, and the Son of Man appears, lightning rips open the sky and, and, and the Son of Man is coming, don't run downstairs to get Grandma's jewelry. Don't turn back and, and run after some possession downstairs. Now, why does he say that? Because the, the, isn't it true that when Jesus Christ is revealed, um, he's gonna, it's going to be so overwhelming? I think people will be transfixed. I don't, I'm not sure they'll be thinking about grandma's jewelry. But, but Jesus isn't just speaking nonsense here. You see, what he's telling us is that, that on that day, ultimate priorities are going to be revealed. Ultimate loves are going to be manifested. When people see the destruction coming, what will they fear losing? And so he says, remember Lot's wife. What does he want us to remember about Lot's wife? Well, surely he wants us to remember how she died. Boys and girls, you remember the story? God said uh, that judgment is going to come, and so, and so Lot left the city running with his, with his daughters and his wife. And then the fire began to fall, and, and uh, Lot's wife, what did she do? She looked back. And what happened? She became a pillar of salt. Why salt? Well, the text doesn't tell us exactly, but salt was often used in those days as a sign of utter condemnation when, king, when a king would sack a city if they really wanted to be vengeful. They would, they would salt the fields around that city so that it would be a desolate place, could not bear fruit, uh, could not produce a crop. The city was, was done for years and years and years. It's, it's like n nuclear holocaust sorts of things. It's, it's just finished. It's ultimate judgment in a sense. Well, she becomes this, this barren pillar of salt, a, a, a condemned person. She's revealed to be, you see, a fruitless, barren soul. And, and Jesus, Jesus wants us to remember Lot's wife. Take notes on Lot's wife. Consider Lot's wife. J.C. Ryle has a magnificent sermon on this. It's found in his book, uh, Holiness, I think chapter 10, A Woman to be Remembered. If you've never read that, I would just highly uh, recommend it to you. And, and Ryle just points out that Lot's wife is a, is a great help to the church, to disciples, because Lot's wife died under the judgment of God, even though she lived with many spiritual privileges. The world was in darkness, and yet Lot's wife was brought into the community of light. She lived with Abraham, the father of God, for many years. She was in the covenant community. She saw God's faithfulness to Abraham, even though Abraham was a sinner. But he believed in God, and God provided for him and protected him. And, and her own husband was a, was a believer in God. Not a, you know, he made some foolish mistakes of his own. But he was, he was grieved in his heart by the sin that he saw. He was a, he was a righteous man. 
And she had received the personal warning of the angels that had been in her own house. So many privileges. And she was on her way out of the city. She's so close to being saved. I mean, she, she's, she's on her way. She's almost there. And yet she's lost. Just as lost as every other citizen of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, her spiritual privileges did not save her. And they won't save you and they won't save me. You might have been born and raised in the very best Christian household. But you, you, you might be in a great church. You might know the answers to all the theological questions. You may have memorized many scriptures. All wonderful spiritual privileges, but not a single one of them, or nor all of them combined, are able to save you. They didn't save her. And remember Lot's wife, because she was saved for such a, she was lost for such a little sin. She didn't kill somebody. She didn't murder someone. She didn't commit adultery, as far as we know. She didn't steal something. What did she do? She looked back. Just one little sin. Why did she look back? Well, in one sense, it doesn't matter. The angel said, don't look back. The angels of God had told her, don't look back. And, and, and so she did, and, and justly then deserved to be condemned. But, but it matters in the sense, you see, that, that her looking back was motivated by something. It revealed the truth of her heart. She despaired to see her home, her life, her city, her godless friends being destroyed. What, what she most loved wasn't the honor and the glory of God. What she was most committed to was, was not the God that Abram and Lot professed and, and that she undoubtedly professed. The truth was, in her heart of hearts, what she most loved was her life here. And it just broke her heart to see it go. Some of you maybe have uh, heard Hank Williams' classic, uh, Your Cheating Heart Will Tell on You. Your cheating heart will tell on you. On the last day, friends, your heart will tell on you. J.C. Rouse says, Her eyes turned to the place where her treasure was as the compass needle turns to the pole. You can't keep it from doing it. She was no murderess, no adulteress, no thief. She was a professor of religion. But she looked back. And there are thousands of baptized persons in our churches who are proof against immorality, proof against infidelity, and yet fall victim to the love of the world. They would never think about those gross sins, but they're very comfortable with those little sins of loving the world more than they love the Lord. So she loved the world. That's, that's Lot's wife. She's Lot's wife, but she's Sodom's daughter. And so instead of running with eager anticipation towards the redemption that was promised, she turned and grieved the life that she was losing, and, and she lost it all. And Jesus says, so will it be on the day the Son of Man is revealed. So will it be. There will be countless people who lived with many spiritual privileges who will turn back. When Jesus Christ comes again, friends, there will... People will face one of two directions. You see, they will either face him with cries of joy, outstretched arms, running to meet him whom they have loved, or they will turn with desperate 
screams, seeking to hide from him whom they have despised. Which way are you going to turn? Your heart is going to determine the answer to that. You see, the day of the Lord is going to reveal those who truly actually do love Christ and belong to him or those and those who don't. There's going to be a great dividing. Jesus says that in verse 34. There will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be, be taken and the other left. Every person stands as an individual when Christ comes again. You might be sleeping next to the most godly person in the world. But your proximity to them will not save you. You might have the very best Christian friends, and, and they might believe you're one of them, and you might even believe you're one of them. But Jesus says on that moment, some, one will be taken and another will be left. There will, there will be people who will be horrified to see their godly wife, their godly husband taken, and they're left. And, and their godly friends leaving them, and they're left to judgment. Jesus is he's just telling the truth. Why? Because he loves us. And he does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. And Jesus wants us to think about what's going to happen when our little two inches runs out. Because you will experience eternity, one way or the other. Matthew Henry says it ought to be the business of every day to prepare ourselves for the last day. So Jesus, friends, this morning, it's a sobering text, but it's a good text. It's a good truth. Jesus is just telling his friend, be ready. Be serious. Be serious about your eternal soul. Be serious about eternal things. Be ready to meet your maker. Be ready to meet the king. Be ready to meet the judge. And, you see, the gospel promises that this very Jesus who speaks these words of warning, this is the Jesus who was, going to, was on his way to the cross. This is the Jesus who, who knowing the judgment of God, uh, went and faced it and embraced it, bearing your sin, so that Jesus could tell us this morning, be serious, be ready, but don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. The judgment holds no threat to those who are in Christ, right? He's a mighty Savior. He's a rock of refuge. When the judgment fell on Jesus bearing your sin, it passed you by if you belong to him. That's the wonder of the gospel. We need to be serious about these things. We need to be ready. And the way that we're ready is not to clean up our act. The way that we're ready is to flee to Jesus Christ. And this Jesus gives us many great and precious promises that we can claim as our own in faith and faith alone. He says, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The scripture says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not by making an empty profession, but if you truly believe those things by the Spirit of God. And you're convinced of those things. Jesus says if you confess men before, if you confess him before men, he will confess you before his Father in heaven. There, there are wonderful, precious promises. And so, friends, you and I this morning can face uh, that day, that day that is certainly coming. We can face it in faith. We can face it in joy. 
And you might think to yourself, yeah, but I'm weak and my faith is so fickle. And one, one moment I'm just on fire for the Lord and the next moment I'm in fire for sin. Friend, bring that truth about yourself to this Jesus, this Savior. He's able to save to the uttermost. He promises to keep you, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The shepherd of Israel keeps his sheep and he's able to hold you. But you need to be with him. I don't know your heart this morning. God absolutely knows your heart this morning. And so before the Lord this morning, I just want to ask you, friend, are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you, are you ready? Are you, are you saying just as I am without one plea, I got nothing but Jesus? Nothing but Jesus? Can you say that truthfully? And if you cannot say that truthfully, then, friend, you need today. Listen. Hear the word. Hear the warning. Today, God is calling you, confess your sin. Turn to Jesus Christ as your only hope and your only life. Your eternal well-being depends on it. And if you come to him, he promises to receive you. Isn't that good news? Aren't you glad he's a willing savior? Aren't you glad that he's more zealous for your eternal joy than you are? Let's respond to him in faith. Let's pray together. Oh God in heaven, thank you for Jesus. I we don't deserve, Lord, to be warned. We don't deserve to be saved. Why would you come and rescue us? Why would you give us the ark of Jesus Christ? And not only give us that ark, but drag us onto it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the truth is, the Lord, so often we come reluctantly and hesitantly we hate to part with our life in this world. We hate to part with our sin at times. And it's a great sin. And yet you're so gracious. Father, every one of us is going to stand on that day before your face, before the face of Jesus Christ. I thank you that you are hungry to see your grace magnified in the salvation of sinners, that you're zealous for this, and that the gospel is a mighty ship able to carry all who come aboard to everlasting salvation and joy. Father, I pray you just speak to people this morning. We can be busy about many things and yet be foolishly negligent about our eternal soul. And Father, lead us then to faith in Christ. Lead us to confidence in Christ, to joy in Christ, to living our life in this world for eternal things in the absolute conviction that you will not let us go, you will not let us be lost as we've come to you. We pray, Lord God, that you would just bind this word on our heart today. May it transform us. And Lord, maybe for some today, may this be the day they come to new life for the rest of their life. In Jesus' name we pray it, amen.